Welcome to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curb and Turf. On this show, we interview agritourism farmers, authors, leaders, and influencers who share their insights on growing and monetizing your agritourism business. Here's your host, Dustin Reed. Hi, welcome to The Recurring Plot, the podcast that talks about how to earn recurring income from your property. In this episode, we're joined by a true expert in the field, Seth Williams. He's not only a professional real estate investor, but he also is the founder of retipster.com, an invaluable resource for real estate investment enthusiasts. Seth brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table, and today we'll explore his journey into real estate, the discovery of the allure of of investing in various niches, and uncover the secrets of generating passive income, which is what we're all, all about. We're ready to gain some insightful insights from from you, Seth. We're grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, Dustin. I, I really, so for those that you don't know you, but there's probably several people that follow you. You have a YouTube channel. You have a podcast. You have your you have your website, retipster.com. Can you kind of explain your background specifically as an invest, you know, a real estate investor, and what got you into that? Yeah, sure. What got me into real estate or what got me into RE Tipster or kind of well, both? Well, I think, you know, probably both because it's obviously there's one thing thing one thing feeds to another. So I'm sure mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, there's a probably yeah. story arc with yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, it started when I was in college and I was in my junior year, I think it was, and I picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as many people do and as many people have when they got into uh, real estate and business. And, uh, you know, I had this paradigm shift moment where I was like, oh, you mean I don't have to get a job and work until I'm 60 and then die after that? Like I can actually do what I want to do and that kind of thing. And, uh, I, what, one of the problems that I had in college was that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was paying a ton of money and going to a very academically challenging school, struggling to make it through. And I didn't even know why, like, I didn't know where I was going with this. And that was like a big light bulb moment when I realized, huh, I can do this entrepreneurial thing. And a college degree technically isn't even necessary for that. It's not going to hurt, but like, I don't have to do this. So I continued, graduated college. And one of the things that, you know, Robert Kiyosaki talks about and Rich Dad, Poor Dad is this idea of investing in real estate. But it doesn't really get too specific about like what to do or how to do it or anything like that. So I spent hundreds of hours. And this was back in like 2006 when I was doing all this, hundreds of hours trying to scour the MLS, trying to find houses for sale that I could buy and flip or use as rental properties. And for anyone who was around in 2006 in the real estate market, it was a it was a pretty insane time in terms of uh, prices were just sky high, kind of like they are today, honestly. Uh, hyper competitive, you know, you would make offers over asking price and not get the deal because somebody else did higher over asking price. And I was just like, how does anybody do this? Like, how is this even possible to make money in real estate when like, I'm struggling. And I, but it frustrated me because like, I knew it had to be possible because people were doing it, but I just didn't know what they were doing. I was missing some crucial piece of information and it, it all started to click in 2008. Uh, right as everything was falling apart in the economy, uh, I discovered the niche of land investing, 
but not just land investing. It was also about how you can find highly motivated sellers of any type of property, but it works especially well with land. And so it was kind of like a, a two-part discovery is like, how do you find off-market deals? And then how do you find them for land? And, and why land at all? Like, why is that even a smart way to, to do this? The whole idea with land, well, I guess we'll start with that. It makes a lot of sense, uh, but most people don't see it because they just hear this idea of buying dirt at full asking price. And it's like, what's the point? How do I make income from that? How, how do I flip right. that and make money? Um, <clears throat> and it, you actually can if you buy at the right price and buy it at a very, very low price. But um, assuming you can do that, the reason land makes a lot of sense is because it doesn't have the thing about it that makes properties the worst to deal with. And that is people. There's no tenants living <laughs> in it. There's nobody destroying or stealing things. You don't have to deal with contractors who, you know, mess everything up. Just the people element is not there. Um, and because of that, a lot of the complications don't exist. And um, a lot of the most difficult things about real estate don't apply to that. And um, also things like the property tax bill. I didn't realize this until I bought my first parcel of land, but property taxes for vacant land is very, very cheap. And when you buy land really cheap, you can buy it without taking out loans. So you don't have to worry about making payments and racing against the clock to get that property flipped. And uh, it just made a ton of sense. And the first way that I was able to start buying properties super cheap like this was by finding people who were delinquent on their property taxes. And this is definitely not the only way to do it. Back in the day, I thought it was the only way, but it was just the first way that I discovered. And um, it's basically just a matter of, uh, you know, finding the county tax collector or treasurer and asking them for a list of all the properties in that county that are currently back due on their property taxes. And this is not the same thing as properties that are going up for tax sale auction. And that's usually what they think you're talking about. And they'll misunderstand you and give you the wrong thing. But we want the properties that are still owned by their private owners. But if they don't pay those taxes off soon, they're going to lose everything. So we want to get them kind of in that sweet spot. And the reason that's a useful time to talk to them is because they have a problem and you know about it. And if they don't pay those taxes off soon, they're going to lose that property and get nothing for it. So you can go in there and make a very, very low offer. And it's going to be a better offer than what their alternative is, which is losing it. Um, of course, that doesn't mean they don't have the cash and they can't just pay it themselves. Maybe they forgot about it. Maybe they're waiting for some reason. But a lot of times the reason people are delinquent is because they don't care about it. Like it's something that they inherited or maybe they bought it 20 years ago. It just doesn't matter to them. And it's out of sight, out of mind. And it's just a really good type of person to contact. And they're just, they're, they're ripe for picking in terms of presenting them with a low offer and we're not trying to swindle people. We're not trying to pull any fast ones on them. We're just saying, look, I noticed that, you know, your properties are back new. If you want an easy solution to this, I'll pay off your property taxes, which aren't that much. And I'll give you 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. Or if it's a really terrible property, 50 bucks. I've had people offer to give me their property for free before when doing this. And um, it's just a really good way to get uh, vacant land. And when you then own this vacant land, you can do nothing to it list it for sale and sell it for a whole lot more than you bought it for. And depending on the market, depending on how competitive it is, you might like list it for full market value, maybe a discount from that. These days you could probably list the thing above market value, depending on where you're at and what the demand is. 
Um, and keep in mind, while this is all happening, um, because there's no people there, because there's no house falling apart, there's no liability issues, the property taxes are really low, you don't really have a whole lot of stuff to worry about. There's not much to stress about. And you bought this property free and clear for something that's worth way more than you paid for it. And when you get in that kind of situation, it's honestly kind of hard to lose money because the thing you bought is immediately worth more than you paid for. If you could do this with like cars, with jewelry, yeah. with baseball cars, anything that's of you know monetary value, uh, the same thing would apply to that. But the benefit here is that there's a systematizable way that you can repeatedly get these deals again and again, instead of like finding a one-off great deal on eBay on some thing that you're trying to make money on. Um, and also because it's land, you don't really need to be anywhere near the land. And really what you're buying and selling is paper. It's the deed to the land. Um, and it's, uh, you know, back when I first started this, I used to think that I had to drive out to each property myself and visually inspect it. And not that that's a bad idea to do. I mean, it's, it's a good idea for someone to go and inspect it. But these days, the properties I buy are across the country and I never see them. Um, and I, I do get somebody out there to inspect it for me. But the beauty of that is like, it opens up so many doors and I honestly almost never have to leave this office to do this work. And it's an amazing way to make money. How do you find most of your deals? Do you, is it going through um, the counties like you said, or is it actually going through MLS sites or is it actually, I mean, how are, how is it that you're looking for, and what is it that you're looking for? And is, and how are you researching the, that marketplace or does that matter with raw land? Cause I'm not, too familiar yeah. with, you know, yeah. investing in the raw land? Yeah, those are all great questions. Uh, so the, the delinquent tax approach, so like I said, that's one way to do it, but it's also right. kind of a pain because you have to deal with uh, counties that don't care about you and don't know what you're talking about. And they're kind of, I don't want to say they're all clueless, but some people are just totally clueless and they're just not motivated to help you. And then when you do get the list, a lot of times it's a total mess to sort through the thing and you got to pay money for it a lot of times. So a much easier way to do this uh, is to use a service. I use a couple of them now. I use DataTree and PropStream, and I've played around a little bit with Property Radar. They're all kind of the same thing, just repackaged a little bit. But the idea is you can generate lists of very specific uh, property owners anywhere in the country and get the same information that way. And the main difference is you're usually not able to search reliably with that delinquent property tax filter, which is kind of a, a big drawback. Um, like that would be one reason to keep doing the county approach. But if you're okay with leaving that at the door, everything else is a lot easier. And, um, you know, you can get pretty specific about, like, I only want the property owners in this county, in these zip codes who own properties between five and eight acres. And it's got to have road access. I mean, very, very specific. Um, right. and it's just a huge time saver. So, and once you have that, that list of people, which includes their names, their mailing address, the property address, and a lot of other data, you know, one option is to send them a letter and ask them if they want to sell their property. That's kind of like, I mean, for years, really, that's kind of the primary way I've done it, but there's lots of other stuff you can do with this information too. You can skip trace them and get their phone numbers and email addresses. You can send them a text message. You can email them. You can send them a ringless voicemail. You could even like show them online ads if you want to get fancy. I haven't done that kind of thing, but 
once you understand who owns this thing in, in the U.S., it's actually kind of a unique thing in this country where we're able to get that information pretty easily. In most other countries, you can't do this. But because we can get that information really easy, it's pretty, you know, straightforward to reach out to them. And uh, I also have a, uh, what I call a buying website, which is a website that um, it's pretty simple. It's like a few pages and there's a submission form on there where uh, motivated sellers can fill out all their property information and submit it to me. And in that form, I'm asking all the same questions I would be asking them if I were to get on the phone with them. So I'm just collecting right. the information about their property. And then once I have that, I can really quickly email them an offer, which is going to be super discounted. And don't get me wrong, a lot of people will blow you off. A lot of people will say right. no. I don't mean to, to imply that you're going to have a high acceptance rate on this kind of thing. But all it takes is one or two or five people to say yes. And you can make a ton of money from this stuff because you're getting a ton of free real estate equity when you buy these deals. I've heard you say that you could almost consider the investment as a passive way of income, right? And can you kind of explain how that is or why that is? Because um, I think you've, I've heard you talk about having, you know, buyer financing um, and, I'm, and I'm not super familiar with them. So assuming you're just going past, you know, you're not dealing with the bank and dealing with their note or their under their underwriting and stuff like that. Can you speak a little bit about about that and other ways possibly you could you could utilize the raw land or land for um, passive income or ways that you yeah. utilize that? Yep. Yeah. So passive income is kind of like a buzzword that gets thrown around. I actually try to be really careful about uh, when and how I use that word right. because um, when we're talking about just flipping land, like what I've described to this point about finding motivated sellers, buying it and selling, that is not passive. That is a very mm -hmm. active business. Right. You have to keep pedaling or the money is going to stop coming in. And granted, it's an active business that can make a lot of money and doesn't require that much of a startup capital to get started, but it's still very active. If you wanted to steer more towards the passive stuff with vacant land specifically, uh, I actually have a video uh, talking about uh, seven ways to make $1,000 per month from vacant land. It's it's been seen a lot on YouTube and there's many more ways to do it beyond what I talk about in that video. But, um, the, uh, yeah, just like a handful of examples would be, um, and I've actually done this recently. So you can buy land and you could convert that to like an outdoor boat and RV parking lot. Or if you own land anywhere near, like in the city, near like a, a major attraction, like, a uh, athletic field or I don't know, a local fair or something like that. You could use that for parking and make actually kind of a lot of money on a daily basis during those events. Um, if you had agricultural land, you could lease it out to a farmer. The one drawback with agricultural land is that it's usually pretty hard to find like dirt cheap deals on that because right. if it's a, you know, producing farm, it's making money for that seller and they're much less likely to sell that thing at a discount. But um, but you know, if you, if you were lucky enough to own that, that's one way you could make passive income from it. Um, you could also rent out your land to like a, a mobile home owner and they can just pay you rent for the land itself. Um, or you could, uh, you could use your website and, uh, you know, let, let people rent it by the day, that kind of thing. Um, so, and, and actually, I guess what you were getting to, what I think you might've been alluding to with the, the seller financing, owner financing thing. So as a land flipper, Seller financing is actually a pretty big deal um, if you're able to offer it. And usually you can. It's just a question of, do you want to deal with all the extra 
details and kind of hassles that go along with it. So with a lot of vacant land properties, once you're under a certain price threshold, like maybe, I don't know, $100,000, it can be kind of difficult to find a bank who will lend you money to just buy that land and do nothing with it. A lot of banks will lend it to you if you plan to build something on it, because then they can take that house as collateral and they understand what it's worth through an appraisal. But if you're talking about just raw land, a lot of times raw land is very, very difficult to appraise. And even appraisers will tell you, like, we don't really know what we're doing. And we're just taking the very little information out there and trying to come up with something for you. Um, so because of that difficulty in appraising land, uh, and there's certain w- certainly ways to get a good idea, but it's, it's much harder than a house would be. But because of that difficulty, a lot of banks just say, no, we're not going to do it unless you plan to build something on that or unless you have a really high net worth and we can use that to justify this loan. Um, so because of that, um, the people that buy my land for me that I'm selling, they either have to have all the cash to do that or some other source of financing, whether that's like a home equity line of credit or personal loan but I can make it a lot easier for a lot more people if I'm willing to finance that for them and say, hey, instead of selling this for a hundred grand, how about I take maybe 15,000 down and you can pay off the other 85,000 over five years at 10% interest and really make up whatever terms make sense for both me and them. And uh, through that, um, essentially you can create passive-ish income in that as long as that buyer continues to make those payments and you can use a loan servicing company or a payment software to uh, collect the stuff from them. As long as they do that and they perform as agreed, that's money that's going to be coming in every single month. And because I bought that property for so cheap in the first place, like maybe I bought, I paid like 30 grand for it or something like that. Um, and that would be a very good deal by the way. But if, you know, if I paid that amount, you know, I just collected half of my investment at the closing and it might be another like, right year or something. And then I'll have all of my money back and all the money, all the payments after that are pure profit. And, uh, and that, that's a really cool thing on paper, but the drawbacks to that are, you have to understand a lot more about the legalities in your state. You have to get the right paperwork. You have to monitor the payments and you're essentially getting into a business relationship with that person when you set up this loan. And it's something you have to maintain and keep track of to some extent while they're paying you off. And then when they do pay you off, that income goes away and you got to do it all over again. So it's not like a rental property where it's permanent income. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things. A lot of times when I heard it described in the beginning, I only heard the good sides of it and I didn't hear the drawbacks. So I always try to mention the drawbacks mm-hmm. of it too. Right. Well, I mean, that's kind of, kind of the risk for a lot of anything almost, you know, just because, and a lot of the passive income, you have to do a lot of the front end work ahead of time anyways to even see the the benefits of that you know of that work so yeah. and it makes sense that you know once if you're doing the the financing you're getting the monthly payments you know and you already kind of made your money off like you're saying you know if you're able to get that from the down payment and then everything else is just profit it just totally does make sense and if you're able to do that for multiple properties and multiple land deals it sounds like that would be an awesome way to go and then yeah. you're not you know, especially if you're dealing with one state, you're, you know, the laws, you know, kind of the routines within that. I'm obviously, um, so do you, do you, um, are there certain states that you just don't touch or you don't just because of laws or are there, um, other factors where you're just like, it's just a no go. And then this is kind of my, um, 
pain points where I'm just, I just know it's not going to be a good deal or something I'm not going to mm-hmm. look into. Yeah. So yeah, good question. So in terms of like states that I just like absolutely will not go to, I don't think there's any state I can think of that I would just say no. Like if a great deal presented itself, I wouldn't right. do it. Um, but right. you know, typically the, uh, I mean, there's different things you would want to consider. Like for example, if we were going after um, delinquent tax properties or tax sale properties or something like that, there are certain states that are tax deed states and other states are tax lien states. And they follow a very different process in terms of how you could actually get the deed and what it takes to be considered delinquent and all this stuff. So you don't understand that kind of thing if you were even using that approach. Uh, on the seller financing end, um, I've never worked in New York, but I hear something about their laws is like really problematic. Uh, it's like it's very, it favors the borrower and not the lender. So like a lot of people in seller financing won't even do it in New York, period. But again, that only applies if you're doing seller financing. If you're just doing cash, it doesn't matter. Um, there's also things like uh, there are certain states where in order to close a real estate deal, you must by law use an attorney which means it's going to cost about twice as much as it might otherwise cost in a, another state where you can just use a normal title company. And again, that's something that it would probably matter if you're going after a super cheap deal that you're paying like a thousand bucks for because the cost could make it cost prohibitive. But if you're going after like $100,000 deals, it doesn't really matter. You just do the deal. That's fine. Um, so th- there's different kind of hot button issues you would want to be aware of. Another thing, I don't know if this is even still there. I think it might've disappeared, but I know for a long time in Vermont, there was some law where when you bought land, um, you had to basically wait seven years before you sold it. And if you sold it prior to that, each year, you would have to pay 20% taxes and then 40% taxes. And then, so like they basically made land flipping, if you're trying to do it quickly, like unfeasible. And Again, I, I'm not, I don't know, don't, I'm not a CPA, don't quote me on this, but I think right. the last time I looked into that, that had gone away, but I'm not sure. But, but that was just another example of like a random one state issue that if you hadn't really looked for it, you wouldn't know. So. Let's talk about your website. What kind of um, made it to where you started your website and kind of, it's some, you know, you share a lot of information on there and I'm sure it helps you with your, your own, your own business. What was kind of yeah. the. Um, the, the purpose of, uh, the website with Ari, yeah. Ari tipster. Yeah. So it was in 2012 when a friend of mine introduced me to a guy named Pat Flynn, who was running a website called smartpassiveincome.com. has nothing to do with real estate, but, uh, on Pat's website, he was, he was basically blogging about blogging and like how to be somebody who makes online content. And at first I was like, okay, whatever but he would have these income reports where he would publish how much money he was making or where he was making it from. The guy was making like six figures a month doing this stuff. And I was just like, what? And and the interesting thing was, I never felt like I was being sold on anything. Like he didn't seem like a sleazy salesman. He was trying to like get me to buy this thing. He would just like, like say, yeah, here's this software I'm using for this. And here's how it works. Here's what I don't like about it. And here's what's great about it. And if you want to check it out, here's an affiliate link, go check it out. But Whatever you want to do is fine. And just with that kind of approach, he was making tons of money. And I was like, you know, I, I never really felt comfortable being like this uh, 
online guru personality because that's just not who I am. Like I, I don't have all the answers. There's a lot of stuff I'm not sure about. And, uh, but when I saw how Pat was doing it, I was like, you know, I could be like that. Like his personality reminds me of me. Uh, like I don't have to have all the answers. I can just be helpful and maybe I can make money that way. And so I gave it a shot and I wrote my first blog post. And uh, to my surprise, I like really enjoyed it. Like it was a fun process for me to do that. And um, I kept doing it and doing it. And mo for the most part, nobody was paying attention. But occasionally I would get like emails and comments from people who were like, man, Seth, I hope you never stop writing. This stuff is so good. And I was like, wow, that is, that is seriously rewarding to hear somebody say that. To, to pour my heart into something and see that it makes a difference to someone is an amazing thing. And uh, I almost kind of found it like therapeutic in a way to put, not, know that there were like difficult issues that I had to struggle through and to take the solutions that, that I found and organize the ideas and just present them. And uh, for a long time, it didn't make any money at all. But eventually I started finding ways to like, you know, maybe I could sell the postcard templates that I've been using that have worked for me. And maybe I could like uh, explain this process really well and you know, people don't have to buy anything. They'll still have all the answers, but if they just want the easy button to see exactly what I used, it'll be there for them. Just stuff like that. And, um, and it caught on and people really have gotten a lot out of it. And, um, you know, fast forward to now, and this is what I spend most of my week doing now is RE Tipster stuff. Cause it's the stuff that I love the most. So it's, uh, it's been an amazing ride and I've been super blessed to be able to do this. Yeah, that's great. Cause it's like, it sounds like going on 11 years, right? So, and, yeah. and providing value to, to something you're passionate about and then providing answers or, cause you've, you know, you've already done the hard work and then you're providing the tools and, and, and references and everything else for other people, which is great. So that's why where people really find value, you know, I've, I found that out, you know, by doing this podcast, even, you know, by helping others it's, and it's, even and I'm and maybe you could speak on, on along this you know being a, a podcaster um, you know where you could find value in what other you know getting to you know from your guests I'm sure you probably found value in, in what you know what they offer and stuff and then you gain all this insight because I find that with any guests that I have on I gain so much more more insight and it gives you uh, kind of a another tool to your toolbox in a way. Yeah. And how has that helped you with, with your business and um, helping you um, with your audience? You mean just like uh, learning stuff from people I interview or from other influencers yeah. out there? Yeah. 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 Well, there. it's actually interesting. I found this also going to like conferences and stuff where I don't know if you ever go to conferences for anything, but there's. I guess what I'm trying to say is like everyone is a teacher in some way or another, even people that you wouldn't expect anything profound from, like everybody is a expert at something that I'm not an expert at. Um, and maybe it's highly relevant to me and maybe not, but you know, sometimes you'll meet people that don't really strike you as anything special, but you get to talking to them and you realize, wow, you're actually really smart about this thing. And some of the most like life-changing relationships I've ever made have come through those kind of connections. And sometimes on podcasts too, but on a podcast, you're kind of limited to like the topic at hand during that hour that you're talking to them and the organic right. conversation, it doesn't come into the picture as much because everybody's on a tight schedule and all this stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there is tons of stuff to learn from everybody. And 
Um, and even from like other, um, like on YouTube, for example, like some of the best videos I've ever made in terms of like most watched videos, it was like seeing somebody like, for example, um, oh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Chris Hadfield. He's an astronaut who did this video talking about right. myths about being in outer space. Like it has nothing to do with what I talk about, but I watched the video and it was just really interesting. And I saw that like millions of people had watched this thing. I was like, I wonder if I could like do that same thing for my people. Like talk about eight myths about land investing, like very common misconceptions that most people have. And then explaining like where those things are kind of right, but not really right. And explaining how, and like, that was a video that did really well. And you know, I, I was, I guess you could say I ripped off somebody else, but not really. I just took their idea and repackaged it for what I was trying to say. So there's lots of uh, great examples out there that you can take what they're doing and just kind of reimagine it and apply it to what you're doing. That's great. Yeah, it's great advice because I've, I've encountered that, you know, especially just normal conversations where, you know, where you're just like, oh, it just kind of sparks a, a light. And or an idea, and then and then you're able to you know proceed with that, which is kind of cool. So yeah. another question I had was for those that are interested in creating passive income with real estate, what are some pra like practical strategies? I know you talked about some of those, but some practical strategies regardless of the property type. Yeah. Well, um, so my experience with uh, you know buy and hold real estate has been, you know, some rental properties that I used to own and I sold those off in 2019 and a self-storage facility that I recently built. And I know one common thread I found between both those things was that, uh, I guess in both situations, I didn't want to manage the property. Self-storage is very, very straightforward. It's not that difficult to manage that, but residential can be a little bit more just because somebody's actually living there and they can be more high maintenance and depending on the tenant, it can be challenging. But in, in either case, I didn't want to manage it. And the ability to find a good property manager basically makes or breaks everything. Uh, Cause that's, they decide who your tenants are going to be and they decide when to kick them out. And if little things need to be fixed, a lot of times they play a role in that too. And uh, I found, um, you know, I had good and bad experiences with property management on the residential side. So far, I've had a really good experience on the self-storage side. But just if there is anything to like obsess over finding the right person in that kind of business, it's that role. And also like staying on top of them and policing them. Because sometimes like they might be good when you hire them, but then like roles change and they hire new people and things fall apart a couple of years down the road. So just... um and, and I, I hate that it can't just be push play simple, but like, it's just a very dynamic field of endeavor where there's people involved and people change and there's complicated issues that come up. And, uh, yeah, having a good property manager can be, I mean, they're worth their weight in gold really. Right. Well, sounds like that's one of the reasons why you like dealing with land deals, because you mentioned that from the, the beginning, you're just not dealing with people. You're not have, dealing yeah. with the complications <laughs> of, yeah. you know. And some people are great. Obviously, if you like, you were saying, if you find someone that's really um, matches your values and matches what you're doing, and and honest, obviously uh, trustworthy, and everything else, that, that's going to be, you know, a huge an investment for yourself. You know, just yeah. because you're not having to take on those responsibilities. Yeah, for sure. What are some of a few of your success stories that you're able to help other people with, or 
that you've seen even just kind of trying your suggestions or going through kind of dealing with generating income through their properties? Uh, just like uh, success stories from my life or people that I know, like what are examples of, um, or other good people that or... you influenced or yeah. yeah, anyone that you may have influenced or kind of in your, in your circle. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, there's honestly, there's no, there's no shortage of those. Um, I, I don't even really, I do a pretty big, pretty bad job of trying to collect testimonials and stuff. I know they're super important, but like, I just, I don't know, I just find better things to do than that. But, but over the years I've managed right. to collect a, a pretty good pile of those uh, at com forward slash testimonials. That's where you can see a bunch of them, but um, lots of people who were very much like I was, where they kind of felt stuck in their day job and it wasn't like terrible, but they like, they just thought there's gotta be something more than this. This cannot be all there is in life. And maybe they had tried other things in real estate and it didn't work out or they were just really difficult and land was just like a breath of fresh air for them where a lot of the same profit margins and even better profit margins existed, but without so many of the headaches that are involved with houses. Um, yeah, there's, there's people making millions from this, uh, that have paid me nothing, but they learned most of what they know from Ari Tipster. Um, and it's, uh, it's an amazing thing to see that, you know, cause I, I know what it was like coming from a place of, I feel like hopelessness is too strong of a word. It wasn't that bad, but kind of <laughs> in terms of like, I, I feel stuck and I want something else. What do I do? Just that feeling like, am I, is it ever going to get better? to actually discovering that, yes, it is going to get better, way better. And you don't ever have to look back on that. Like I, I experienced that for myself and to know that I helped usher other people through that is an amazing thing. Um, you know, a, a typical, like this is average, would be somebody making like 20 to 50,000 bucks on a land flip where they, you know, take maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 grand uh, of their own cash, uh, maybe even less than that, depending on the deal. And they buy it, they sell it within a few months and they pocket that kind of money and move on to the next deal. And sometimes I think it can feel a little bit like a monotonous hamster wheel after you do this for enough years, because it's like super exciting the first dozen times you do these deals, but eventually it's just the same thing over and over and over and over again. But it does pay very well. And as long as you're gonna be on a hamster wheel, you might as well make hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars from it. So um, I, I do think a lot of people, and this is kind of a tangent, but a lot of people, or most people really in the land business, their goal should be to work themselves out of the land business eventually. The goal should not be to stay there. Um, it's part of what I'm doing in uh, moving over to self-storage. I'm kind of using the cash machine of land to plug those funds into a long-term permanent source of income. Right. Because uh, even though land pays really well, like you gotta keep doing it or it's gonna stop. And at some point, even if you love it that much, uh, it's nice to have the option to just not do it anymore and the money will still come in. So, yeah. Right. Cause that, that's, that's something we kind of speak to a lot on this podcast is diversifying, you know, regardless of what you're doing, because you never know. Cause obviously the economy that we're in now, it's not, I mean, not the best. I, it seems like it's not the, you know, you have high interest rate, a lot of, a lot of parts in the mm -hmm. country that it's over, you know, valued as far as, uh, yeah property and stuff like that. What advice do you give to someone in, in times like these, like whether it's 2008 or if it's something like now where we have high interest rate, I mean, what kind of advice do you give to, to people? 
Yeah. That's, that's really, I was just talking to somebody else about that yesterday in that, uh, if you're trying to like buy rental properties or build something, that's, well, that's, uh, it's just, it seems like it's almost a hold pattern, right? Or that's how yeah. I look at it, but I'm not sure if there's maybe something else. And I'm not even sure if maybe, you know, raw land may be different because you're not having to deal with, you know, you don't have all the added, you know, you know, if you're not dealing with banks and stuff, maybe you're able to do those, those, you know, yeah. like you're talking about seller financing, which I'm sure, and you're determining your own interest rates. Yeah. Um, but I seem if you're going through anything through a bank or anything, it seems like it's almost a hold. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's accurate, but like, I, I think of who I was when I was like 21 trying mm -hmm. to get into real estate didn't have hardly any money to work with, didn't want any risk. And uh, right. there's not many things that that will work well with, even when interest rates are low, but land did for me. Cause I didn't, I had 3000 bucks when I got started, bought my first property for $331. And it, these days I think it shifted a bit. There's more competition in the business. I would say it's better to have maybe 10 grand, but even that compared to most things out there, that's not that much money. Most people can get that if they're willing to save right. up for a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of um, like, for example, I'm, you know, thinking about building a second self-storage facility. And the first one I built, my interest rate was 4.83% fixed for eight years, which is a great rate, especially in today's environment right. to get, I mean, I can't get that today. It's going to be like double that. So, right. um, and that definitely changes things. I mean, that changes a lot of what I can consider doing. Like that money has to come from somewhere. I got to get the land for like nothing or find some kind of a deal and, uh, or find some other way to finance it. I don't know. But um, for somebody who is in my position where they didn't have much and they didn't want much risk to tell them to go out and buy a rental property or flip a house, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say it's, it can't be done, but it's just much harder. And that it's another compelling reason to do something like land where like financing from banks isn't a thing. Like you just don't think that way. And if anything, it ends up helping you because when you sell a property and if you offer seller financing, you can charge a much higher rate and people aren't going to scoff at it because they know that rates are high anyway. So it kind of works to your advantage. Um, but yeah, I mean, if uh, land is kind of one of those things that it makes perfect sense at a time like this. Yeah. It does, especially when you don't have to go through a bank or anything like that. You're you're able to exchange, you know, money. You, someone has a commodity, and then you're looking to they're moving to looking to move off that commodity, and that's mm -hmm. that's one of the things that why land's such a big deal. It's just because you can't you can't really make more of it, right? So mm -hmm. it's just one of those things. that's just intrinsically should go up in value over time, mm -hmm. you know, and so it just seems like one of the most safest things to invest in it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, how has your website RE Tipster evolved throughout the years and, you know, what kind of resources do you, can you, do you provide for your visitors and what can they find on your platform today? Yeah. So I would say probably 50 to 60% of the content on RE Tipster has something to do with land investing. And usually when I put that stuff together, I try to make it so that it's also applicable to other stuff too. Like house investors can also use it. It's not just for land people. But um, so if you're looking for land investing content, there's a ton of that there. It's stuff that uh, it's always kind of been my philosophy that when we make a blog post or a video, 
it's got to be worth paying for, but it's free. Like I, I don't just make noise, just writing stuff to write stuff. Like it's got to really change somebody's life. And, uh, it seems to have worked. And I, it, it kind of gives me a, a greater purpose too, to know that like, this isn't just junk. Like this is really going to make an impact on people. Um, so there's lots of stuff about land investing. I'm also starting to further build out the self-storage investing part of the site. Now that I'm getting more into that. Um, there's lots of stuff about rental properties and, um, we've got other guest writers who've put together things that like how to analyze a deal. Um, lots of free downloadable stuff that people can use like, uh, phone call checklists. Like, what do you talk about when you talk to a motivated seller? What exactly are you trying to ask them? What do you say? Um, you know, direct mail templates. Like how do you, what do you say when you're marketing to people? How do you start these conversations? I mean, a lot of stuff, seriously. So, um, yeah, I, I, we actually have a really nice, uh, useful search bar up in the navigation that works a lot like Google does, where when you type it out, it starts actually suggesting results and it's actually really accurate. Like you'll probably find what you're looking for if, if it's on the site. So um, that's another useful tool there too. And then I'm um, talking about what, what are you foreseeing as far as the future in land investing or even with your your platforms um because there's a lot of newer things coming out like with ai or or things yeah. like that is that something you've even thought about and how you could pertain that to your business or what you're doing yeah yep um so for land uh i mean i've noticed it's definitely gotten more competitive since uh, the covid pandemic uh, a lot of people came into the space and it's kind of changed a lot of things in terms of what kind of response rates should you expect on your, you know, direct mail campaigns? Is, is is direct mail even the right way to get a hold of people anymore? Is there other ways we should be doing this? So it's been interesting to try to find the new normal and figure out the direction things are going in. And I don't know ultimately, but I can respond to what's happening in the world. So started talking a lot more about just alternative ways to find motivated sellers and how we, how we how we can rethink these deals in the new world that we're living in now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see the future of land. I mean, it's it's still a fairly hot commodity right now, but I know well, like when I got started in land, it was nobody wanted land. It was like the last thing anybody was interested in. I was still able to make money on it because I paid very low prices for it, but it'll be interesting to see how that shifts over the next few years um, and what role interest rates continue to uh, play in that. Um, as for the AI thing, so that's, that's interesting. We actually... Um, a couple of years ago, we started building out a, what I call the terms library on our site, where it's kind of like Investopedia and their dictionary of terms. Right. If you're at all familiar with that, where they just, mm -hmm. they take a confusing word or acronym that's thrown around a lot and they thoroughly explain, what does this mean? And why is it important? And when would you use it? So we've, I've been working on a similar thing like that with terms related to the real estate industry. And uh, it's been a ton of work and it's interesting because like now I can go on chat GPT and ask that question, probably get a better answer than what we wrote in that terms article. And it's like, oh, seriously. And um, so I don't know what the future of that kind of content is, like just very um, kind of static, kind of uh, boring stuff. But like when it comes to content that requires a person's personal experience and opinion, that's something where a human still plays a huge role in that. Um, and even, uh, you know, there's been a lot of fear over like how many jobs AI will eliminate, but I think it's just going to create different positions because like 
any kind of AI tools that I use, I can never just take it in its raw form and be done. Like I have to take it and then like massage it into place and change it around and make corrections to it and make it look and sound more like how I want it to. So it still requires a human's involvement to actually do something with that output. But it's a huge like 80-20 leverage tool in terms of eliminating a, a lot of the heavy lifting that we would otherwise have to do. So I think it's awesome. Like I, I'm really excited to see what continues to come out. And uh, I'm not I'm not terribly worried about it harming me or many other people as long as they're willing to be flexible and kind of find the new mold that they need to fit into to be useful, which I don't think will be as hard as some people are afraid it will be because humans play a crucial role in being able to communicate with other humans and um, being able to take that raw output and make it sound right is a, still a big job. There's always going to have to be some kind of human element in that, you know, just because I, I love humans talking to humans. That's, I, I'm sure it might get to a point, maybe it's like that, but it's, it seems like it'd be years and years on the road. I think it's great that you provide so much content and tools on your website. Not only that, you do that on your, on your podcast, you do that on your YouTube channel. For those that don't know, what's the best way to get on your platforms? Can you, can you make a plug for those yeah, sure. those things? Yeah. So, I mean, retipster.com is like the home base where everything is. But if you're ever looking for me, I'm um, on pretty much every social platform. If you just search for retipster, re is in real estate. And yeah, I'd say probably YouTube, our Facebook group, probably the most active places. But like we're on Instagram too and all that stuff. But Ultimately, what it's all pointing back to is retipster.com. So if you just want to get like the real value and meat that uh, that I have to offer, that's where you can find it. Perfect. Well, we'll put that, make sure we put that in the show notes or anywhere. If we're if you're watching this on YouTube, we'll put that in the, the section. <laughs> so we'll put that in and make sure everyone's able to find you. Is there any, anything that you'd like to discuss or anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to Go over. Yeah, I guess uh, me. I don't know who else listened to this, but I know a lot of people, and I know this because I see it every day. A lot of people out there mm-hmm. love to learn about this stuff and learn about what's possible, but like they'll never actually do it. And they might think they're going to, mm-hmm. but like the reality <laughs> is they're just never going to take action. Like, because it's kind of hard and scary to do that. But, you know, I found the biggest lessons I've ever learned by far by miles and miles is when I actually like try to implement something and it's like, oh, that's how it actually works. So uh, I would just encourage you, whatever you're looking to do, whatever you're interested in doing, like start doing it, like do something uncomfortable, like take that first step towards making that dream a reality and go do it with the expectation that something's going to go wrong and it's going to sort of blow up in your face a little bit, but understand that that's normal. And that's something everybody experiences on their way to doing anything great. And, uh, yeah. And if you're somebody who's already taken action, then keep doing it. Right. I I love that. I, that's probably one of the wisest things that, because I've, I often think that when I'm watching a YouTube video, I'm like, how many people are actually following this advice? It's got to be like, not even a percent, you know, it's just gotta be, those are the people that really are going to value that. Cause once they start, cause I'm, I could, I've actually kind of started doing this and started testing that out. And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, there's, as you mentioned, there's going to be bumps in the roads, but you learn so much 
and you learn just about the process and how to refine it. And then it, until it becomes, you know, obviously the less resistance you're going to have, the better. Um, and it's just so valuable. So I think that's probably, I, as far as being on the podcast, that's probably one of the wisest things I've, I've heard. Hmm. And I, I do appreciate that. And thank you for, for being a, a part of the recurring plot today. And we'll be sure to make sure we'll make sure that we have everything on the show notes and everyone, I, Please check out anything that Seth's producing because this is just a wealth of information. I've watched even just a couple episodes with him and I've learned quite a bit. And I love his suggestions and, and what and things that I've never really considered, especially with with you know land investment and everything else. So I really do appreciate your time today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you, Dustin. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curb and Turf. Curb and Turf works like Airbnb, but we help RVers to find land where they can park when they're traveling. Make more money from your land. Please visit CurbandTurf.com to list your property.